the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Common Good. I'm Dan Ehrman. I'm in today for Brian Fromm and Aubrey Sampson. They send their regards but aren't able to join today on this celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. that we're going to focus in on today and remembering some of the uh, history and legacy of Dr. King and the impact of that on our nation, on the church, and uh, the residual ongoing work of the church and of this country in addressing some of the racial disparities that have occurred in our in our past. And part of what we want to focus in on today is, uh, in remembering Dr. King, we want to welcome Tommy Lee, who's the executive director of the Grow Center at Northern Seminary. Tommy, welcome to The Common Good. Hi, Dan. I, th- I think this is my first time on live radio with you, so I'm looking forward to this, Dan. Well, Tommy, you are no stranger to the common good uh, in AM 1160. You're part of our AM 1160 Leadership Advisory Board, and you have been involved in Chicago ministry almost your whole career in, in various capacities, from working at Moody and uh, with Northern Seminary, you, you're also in partnership with Wheaton College, and you run a ministry called Resource Global, where you help train growing Christian leaders who are in business in uh, how to implement Christian principles in various uh, global cities. And so you're in Jakarta and Nairobi and uh, you know, all over the world. It's amazing the, the reach and, and impact of Resource Global. Thank you, Dan. Hey, who would I, if you ask me, would I imagine myself doing this? I'm a guy who grew up on the south side of Chinatown in Chicago, Illinois. I never would have been thinking that I would have had the opportunity to do all these things. So even sitting here talking with you, Dan, so thank you. Well, it's, it's great to have you on. And, and part of, you know, us looking at uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and, and celebrating his uh, legacy and, and history in America today, uh, the Grow Center, you're at thegrowcenter.com with Northern Seminary. Uh, you're, you've put together a, uh, a focus in on Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, for today. Tell us a little bit about that event uh, that's going on tonight and tomorrow night. Found virtually on thegrowcenter.com here, Dan, is I learned a lot from Tim Keller when he talks about the gospel ecosystem, that no one pastor, no one entity or organization or individual can do it alone that when you address the problems of a city, you have to come together. You have to include marketplace leaders, pastors, nonprofit leaders, um, all of these politicians, all of these to engage the city. And so even something with Dr. King and the message he talks about, racial unity, injustice, all of that, this is our second year hosting it. And so as a result, for tonight as well as tomorrow at 7 p.m. Central Time, we love to be able to introduce voices, reflections of Dr. King, what his legacy. We're going to focus on letter from a Birmingham jail. He talks about the colony of heaven. We're going to talk about that the next couple of days. You're going to hear from people like a Pastor Elbert Tate. You're going to hear from Hall of Famer Michael Irving, Lecrae. You're going to hear from 
Tracy Blackwell, a marketing executive in entertainment, Dr. Naima Letts. You're going to hear from a Sky Jadani, Bob Dole, Chris Broussard. All of it allows us to engage. How do we as marketplace leaders, pastors, nonprofit leaders, all of it, engage the problems in our society, in our cities, in our communities to really be able to continue to glorify the gospel, especially in the race conversations? Well, I'd like to reiterate, this is an online event, and so you're welcome to to join with the Grow Center, thegrowcenter.com, and you, you'll you see a, a, an excerpt there you can uh, click on and sign up to join. I believe that's uh, Monday and, uh, and Tuesday nights this week. Is that at 7 o'clock, Tommy? Yep, 7 p.m. That's great. Well, Tommy, is you guys have done these events celebrating the, the legacy of Dr. King, uh, how do you see that impacting churches in Chicago? You know, one of the formats, a lot of times you're going to hear some reflections from Dr. King, but the majority of our time is going to be spent on roundtable discussions. One of the ways that we can really be able to continue to, uh, to really address the problems is we are students. We're listening. We're learning. Too often we just want to tell people what the answers are. But let's stop and listen to some of these roundtables from people who share similar theological views, but some people who share different views than us. Let's listen to their point of view. Let's learn from them. And so we have two moderators, Roy Patterson, as well as Greg Howe, on both evenings, who sit there and moderate with different people speaking into the discussion. The whole idea is, are we listening? Are we students of what God is doing through different people? through different industries, and as a result, what can we learn, and how does that apply to us in our faith journey? And so often politics is such a divider in in our culture and in the church and, you know, around issues of race. And, you know, it's kind of messy because it it can become— A bit of a shibboleth, either way. Of you know, it, it, you know, are do you do you believe what I believe or not? How how can the church work to rally toward unity that's substantive and not dismissive, but also not uh, reductionistic? Honestly, Dan, through humility and listening. For instance, I think we're both married, and uh, my wife and I have been married for ten years. Our marriage would not work because we're not going to agree on everything. If all we're doing is just stuck on our side, speaking to each other, but not listening and honoring each other, that I have to sit there and humbly listen to what she has to say. She has to listen to what I have to say, and we dialogue through it. We work it through. In church, everyone is stuck on their side. Are we humble enough to sit there, Dan, and sit there and say, what, is, what are you saying? Why are you, what can I learn? Do you, is there any truth that you're saying that I can learn? But that other person say, hey, let me understand where you're coming from. Whether it's Asian Americans, Latinos, African Americans, Caucasian, whatever it is, are we listening and wrestling with each other, but serving and dying to ourselves to really be able to serve each other well? Well, part of the audience for, you know, remembering Dr. King and letters from Birmingham jail, focusing on a colony of heaven uh, tonight and tomorrow night with Northern Seminary, Tommy, is with Resource Global, where you're putting this content in front of global leaders from yeah. countries all over the world. How, how do they receive kind of the, this American dialogue around race? And what's the perception of that internationally? You know, one of the things that we have to tell those guys is 
you know what, it may not apply to you from the U.S., but listen to some of the issues surrounding it. And so as a result, how does it apply for you in Nairobi, where there is a huge disparity right now between the Chinese and the Africans, mm. because the Chinese are really buying up a lot of land? How do you deal with that? In Indonesia, where we also operate, fourth biggest country in all of the world, but there's 80% Muslims but who are indigenous, local Indonesians, but then you also have 20% Chinese Indonesians. So there's a lot of racial tension. You see the same thing in Africans, between white Africans and darker-skinned Africans. How do you learn to work through some of those things? So you take all of these ideas that you have with Dr. King, and then you sit there, how does it apply? What are some of the lessons that you learn from this particular man, and how do you then contextualize it in your city? So as we look at the international scene, and we start to turn the corner toward uh, things back here at, at home in the U.S. and the stresses of it, how can an event like this really help a next-generation perspective to be educated about the legacy of Dr. King and the impact that he can have for future generations of the church in America? Dan, it's a dialogue that's important. It's the very fact that with this younger generation, that's why a lot of times we're going to include men, women, young and old from different industries, from different skin color, cultures, everything like that. It's a dialogue. We listen, we honor, we talk with each other. Uh, I'm a, uh, I am part of Gen X. I worked with a lot of baby boomers, and a lot of times it was always a lot of top-down. But then I spent 18 years working college and high school ministry. I learned with this younger generation, you've got to learn a dialogue. You've got to learn to have discussion. And so what this generation is, how do we have God-honoring, respectful, professional dialogue with people who are different than us. It continues to be a dialogue. It continues for us to be listening to each other. It continues for us to have that honorable conversation among things that makes us uncomfortable, Dan. That's not comfortable, Tommy. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's, it's stuff where it, it cuts deep, and I think it points us back toward the gospel and the hope that we have of heaven, of, you know, this colony of heaven that our identity will be founded most fully in Christ and looking toward that. So I commend uh, folks to go, go out and join the growcenter.com. Uh, join them tonight at seven for a letter from a Birmingham jail, remembering Dr. King here in 2022, both uh, today and tomorrow night. Uh, Tommy Lee, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, coming up next here on The Common Good, we're going to be joined by Dr. John Perkins, who's a civil rights hero and Christian leader here in America, as well as Dr. Derwin Gray, who are going to share insights uh, from their perspective, both on the church in America and uh, the impact of Dr. King today as we continue to celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King and remember him today on The Common Good. I'm Dan Ehrman, in for Brian and Aubrey. We'll be right back after this. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, every now and then we, we get to do great interviews in this, but you and I have both been uh, really looking forward to the interview we're going to get to do now. As we get to spend time with Dr. John Perkins, Dr. Perkins is 
one of the last living civil rights leaders who fought for equality and reconciliation through most of his life. Uh, he served in an advisory role under five presidents, received 16 honorary doctorates. We could spend the next nine minutes, 10 minutes just doing that. But uh, he's kind of written his life's work, uh, a really important book uh, called Counted All Joy. Uh, and so, Dr. Perkins, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being here. I'm delighted for us to have this discussion. Yeah, it is absolutely our pleasure. And uh, Dr. Perkins, why don't we start with the book? Why this book right now? What is important about this book for you? Well, I had set out to write what you would call your manifesto. What do I Mm. believe are the most important issues within the Christian faith? And, and how do that work? How do incarnational teaching and speaking work? So I started out, what is the essence of Christianity? Mm. Uh, it is to know God, to make him known, to love him, to serve him forever. What is the most important issue we're here to solve. Why did he come? And he came to forgive us for our brokenness in terms of our sin. And so we wrote a book. We call it One Blood. Uh, humanity is jacked up. Yes. In relationship to what we call racial issues. And the way we play the racial game is a made-up game. It's not from the Bible. Mm. made up from extracts from the Bible, but it's not made up as the excellent of the Bible teaching. The excellent is what I just said. Yeah. It's to know God and to do his will and to serve him. And if there is one God, one mediator between God and man, that man is Christ Jesus. We get a third race in here as an issue that we made up. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ. We done made up a big old lie that mm-hmm. is threatening our world. And it has to do with how we look at what is life and what is love. Mm. And so what I did here was I tried to put together what is the issue? Sin. We are broken. What's the solution for that issue? It's to confess our sins to one eternal God. Amen. And then that was the first book, and I call that One Blood. And second book was called, he calls me friend. The question I'm answering is what Paul raised in Romans 4. Uh, what did Abraham when he found this one true and living God. What he found was a friend. And a friend is a way to discipleship. The issue here in discipleship is love itself. Love itself. Love is the summa of human thoughts in life. So he created one God, this one human race, and he wanted us to love each other and obey him. We want that in that. And so he came into the world to lead us back to himself, to be reconciled to himself. Race is the way we doing it has nothing to do with it. Mm. There's one race to be reconciled uh, is to be uh, reconciled back to God based on our 
that reconciliation on the basis of race, color, and those things is not a biblical thought. Amen. The third book was counted all joy. And it, I call that the paradox of suffering, a ridiculous paradox of suffering. Why suffer? That's a question we are answering here. It's a question go on and on. What makes suffering so redemptive? What, ma- what makes suffering so vicarious? What makes suffering is something that we will have as long as we be here on earth? Life and suffering. What is suffering? It's the prick that remind us that we are broken mm-hmm. so we can repent and turn back to God and live in that oneness he created us to be. One human race that if, if you would use color, you would say one human race, white race, uh, black race. That is not a thought. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Oh. I, 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 I know sort of how we formal up to get there. Noah is presented in the Bible as a white man who had three white sons. One of his grandsons was Ham. We turned him black, and we said that he got to work for and become the servant of those two white boys. Mm. That's made up. Yes, it is. That's a made up story. The Bible don't do that. That's why we can't fix it. We're we're made up a lie that can't be fixed. All the way to be fixed now is to confess our sins and recognize the fact that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that man is Christ Jesus. Amen. The world for is to reconcile this one humanity back to the holy God because we now have broken up into pieces. Mm. Almost made a God out of our own color. Isn't that true? Wow. Minorities don't know what what they have done. Mm. Minorities, who is a minority? Why is a minority? Why do we hate him? Mm. We know a little bit about how we hate white and black. I'll told you a little bit about that. But it was an easy way of having label and to brand people so it's the one we made the most important. He was the best. He was the emperor. And all the rest of us are servants to, to him. Now, and this is so confusing because minorities in their country don't see themselves as a minority. Right. It's on us imperialists. And we're on our way to genocide. Mm. Unless when we come back to the word of God, and accepted Jesus as a redeemer and as a sacrifice lamb so that he can wash away our sins, all of our sins, black sin, white sin, all the sins of this one humanity. Amen. Dr. Perkins, what has kept you going all these years? I'm sure there are times you've wanted to give up and you've seen, I mean, like you were just talking about how much racism exists right now in our country. It's so difficult. What keeps you going? I think it's me coming to know Jesus Christ when I was 26 or 7 years old uh, and about in 1956, 57, 
It was that went out of awareness come to me about trying to understand Christianity. I'm not from a, a typical black Pentecostal Baptist church. Uh, we grew up as bootleggers and gamblers. <laughs> some, some, why another? We knew this system was wrong, and we know if we was bootlegging back in those days when prohibition, we knew we was doing wrong. So I grew up that way. I dropped out of school when I was somewhere between the third and and, and fifth grade. And, and, and so I, I never believed that separate could be equal. Mm. That's why they made black folks think. They made, it, it cost a lot. They had to bring separate restrooms, separate signs to go to make water and all those kind of things in life. We created all of that fuzziness in our society and then made us believe that. Mm. And the beginning of not believing that was Brown versus the Board of Education. Right. When the, when the, when the little black dog thought that the white dog was prettier than them, mm. it, it developed in us self-hatred. And we're not dealing with that along with our crime issue. We're killing one another. And in my community, we black are killing two or three times more than white are killing, I'm talking about in my country here. And now minorities build this country because the enemy was here already. When we're gonna make America white again, or when we're gonna make America great again? What is that about? Right, right. What is, what is that about? And what, what is it about that we are so mad with each other about that? Mm. So we're in a very tight place where we think political critiques add to God's concern. Yeah. It, it, for me to be on one of those sides, I got to be on one of those sides to be on God's side. Mm. Lord, we're in a we're in a, a situation that we've never been at before. We make a perfect constitution. The Constitution concept is the greatest concept in human history as an extract from the Bible. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all humankind was created equal and was endowed by that creator with certain rights. Chief among those is life. That's a common good. That's right. Life is a common good. We all have that as a common good. We, we could do something if we understood that that was a common good and God gave us life. And he, and he built into that the equality of the human race because of one race. And he did justice in all that we wouldn't kill each other so fast. We would work for the common good. And the common good is life itself. Isn't that a beautiful story? So beautiful. Amen. Again, the book is called Count It All Joy, The Ridiculous Paradox of Suffering. And Dr. Perkins, uh, I think of the person out there listening who's going through suffering right now, who's really struggling and thinking about giving up. Um, what what would you say to that person who's like, I don't know if I could take any more suffering in this life? What, what's a word of encouragement that you could give to them? Oh, oh, boy, he came to give us eternal life. In this life is not the end. 
He came to redeem us and to make us just as if we had never sinned. That's what forgiveness is about. Boy, that's the good news. The good news is that God loved us. He so loved us, he created one people to represent him in this world in which we are living. And and we are pretty mad about that. Yeah, we are. It, it is the greatest joyful story. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Joy is a part of that love, which is a sum of thoughts. It's the best thought you can think of as it relates to happiness. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto us is born this night in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. But he's going to love us. He's going to die for us. He's going to show us that pain after I sin is death. Yes. And the wedge of that sin is death. The good news was the message to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good news of the greatest joy. For to you is born this night in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He shall save his people from sin. Oh, Lord, have mercy. How did we get confused like this? How did we? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Again, Dr. Perkins, uh, we can't tell you enough how how thrilling it is for us to have you with us today. Uh, the new book is called Counted All Joy, The Ridiculous Paradox of Suffering. Uh, there's so much good stuff in there, people, that I would encourage you. Go get that book wherever it get, you get books. Christmas present, whatever else it might be. It's called Count It All Joy. You can learn more about Dr. Perkins and his writings and his books at jvmpf.org. Uh, or you can connect with him on Twitter at John M. Perkins. That's at John M. Perkins. Dr. Perkins, we are so grateful for you, for your ministry, and uh, for the little bit of time you were able to spend with us today. Thank you so much. Well, I'm delighted to be with you uh, and to have this wonderful time of, of conversation together. Thank you so much. Uh, our prayers are with you. And again, the book is called Count It All Joy, The Ridiculous Paradox of Suffering. That's again, Dr. John Perkins. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, we've got a somebody we like to refer to as a teammate here, uh, somebody you can hear regularly on this station. His name is Alistair Begg. You can hear encouragement from Alistair Begg on Truth For Life every weekday at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, I wanted to uh, encourage us a little bit with uh, with the gospel. With, uh, Alistair Begg, this is a portion from a message he preached called The Power and the Message of the Cross. Uh, two minutes, Aubrey, and he's going to speak about the thief on the cross. And and again, one of the things we like to do is to try to like shake us out of like the stories we've heard a million times mm. if you've grown up in the church. And instead, go, no, 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 really think about what's going on here. And so Alistair Begg, with his great accent and with some great humor and, and in a profound way, talks about the thief on the cross. Let's listen to that. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? 
if you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, like, because I don't know. Well, you know, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. I'll get the supervisor Angel. So, we just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, "I've never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. All right, Aubrey, I've never really thought when the thief on the cross enters heaven and, and, uh, and, and, you know, the angel says, why should I let you in this idea of like, I don't know. That guy said I could come. There's so much good stuff here. And, And I really thought the most powerful thing it's all powerful, but that part in the beginning where Alistair Begg talks about, uh, if you answer the question of why should I let you in, mm. in the first person, you're missing the point. Oh, I think yes. is so powerful. Give me some reflections on what Pastor Alistair Begg had to say here. I mean, that, you know, it's, it's interesting sometimes when like, you know, the gospel, but it hits you afresh. Yeah. And that honestly brought me to tears mm-hmm. because I do think about, I mean, okay, let me think small scale and then big scale. Small scale, I think of how many times I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and they asked me like, okay, if you were to be asked, like, why should I let you to heaven? What's the answer? And you're like, oh, because I prayed the prayer because I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I, and just to like turn that on its head and go, oh, wait, it wasn't about me at all. Like Mm -hmm. that, I just, I don't know why that like hits so hard right now, but I think part of it is going to the big picture. I you know, I, earlier this week, we, we talked a little bit about Ruth Cho Simmons' book, When Striving Cease. And mm-hmm. I, I think right now, so many of us, and I include myself in this, are in a moment of striving and hustling and trying to prove our worth. And, and ultimately, when we do that, whether or not we realize it, I really think we're trying to save ourselves. Mm. We're forgetting like that the work has already happened on the cross and at the resurrection of Jesus, that he has already paid the price, that he has done the striving so we don't have to. And I think this is just a reminder of that. Like, of course, he does it with humor and and charm, but it is a powerful message to remember like, oh, wait, my salvation is not dependent on me. My Mm. acceptance by God is not dependent on me, but by this man hanging on the cross on my behalf. And I mean, it moves you to tears. It moves me to tears anyway. Yeah, I, I, 
uh, I love that idea that the thief on the cross, there was nothing about his life that made him deserve to, to be uh, allowed entry into heaven, right? Yeah, like, yeah. But yet Jesus says, you're going to be in paradise with me today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the story of the prodigal son where you can have two reactions to that story. One, you can shake your fist and say, that's not fair. He shouldn't be let in. Right. Or you go, praise God that he could get uh, in because that yes. gives me hope. Yeah. Uh, and this idea, I think a lot of us, you know, Aubrey, you and I were pastors. We host a Christian radio show. Yeah. We went to Wheaton College. We have right. master's degrees. <laughs> And I think oftentimes those types of credential building things make it harder to grasp the simplicity and kind of the scandal totally. of the gospel. You begin totally. to going, man, look at all that I do for God. He has to let me in or he's got to accept me. And it's never about us. It's not about us in the beginning, the middle or the end. But don't you think that could be hard to remember over time as I get more and more religious? Yeah, and I, I I don't know what that tendency is. I'm grateful that the Bible talks about it. So obviously, this has been a human tendency for centuries to try to save ourselves again and again and again and try to like collect merits and collect accolades and achieve more and more and more. And I think you're you're especially right that it's a temptation in the world that we live in when we're sort of like literally you and I are existing in the Christian bubble all the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. that there is a temptation to feel like you have to constantly better yourself or know more or prove your worth in the like evangelical industrial complex, which mm-hmm. is so twisted. Like I think we have just let the enemy uh, re- like cause us to forget this powerful truth of the gospel that it just one, it's not dependent on us. Two, God doesn't need us to do all of that. And three, while these might be good things, a master's degree might be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Serving a church might be a good thing. Having a Christian radio show might be a good thing. They are secondary things when mm-hmm. compared with the joy of simply knowing Jesus and the power of the cross. Yes, yes. And uh, again, the simplicity that Alistair Begg speaks with there, with a great accent, again, in <laughs> saying If you answer the question as to why God should accept you ever in the first person, you're missing the point that it's not about what you do. Mm. It's about what God has done in Jesus Christ on your behalf. And that's true when you first hear the gospel. That's true when you've been a Christian for 10 years. That's true when you've been a church, a Christian for 50 years. Uh, That is always true. So really thankful for that good word from Alistair Begg. Again, the entire message is called The Power and Message of the Cross. I'm sure you can find it at YouTube. Uh, You can also hear encouragement from Alistair on Truth For Life weekdays at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160, Hope For Your Life. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope For Your Life. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church and also the author of a new book that just looks fabulous called God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answers. That is Dr. Derwin Gray. Derwin, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing better than I'm talking to you guys. Chicago is one of my favorite places in the world. Oh, that's outstanding. It's good to hear, Derwin. Hey, before we jump into this book, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more so our audience can get to know you? 
Yeah, so I am Vicky's husband. We've been together 32 <laughs> years, married awesome. 29 years. We uh, we met second semester of my freshman year in college. I was 18, she was 19, and we've been hanging out ever since. I have a daughter, Presley, who's a college graduate at 25, and our son, Jeremiah, is 21, and he's a junior. In 2010, uh, my wife and I co-founded Transformation Church. Uh, we didn't grow up in the church. Mm. And so it was really strange to us that being unsaved people in the nightclub, it looked like Revelation 5-9, every nation, tribe, and tongue. But when we became Christians, it was like we had to choose between black church, white church, mm. and churches were more segregated than any aspect of society. And as new Christians, we just read the Bible and kind of like believed it, and we saw that Jesus was the promised seed of Abraham, and that mm. God the Father promised Abraham a family mm. that was uh, uh, multi-ethnic, and I like to say a color-blessed family. We're not oh, color-blind, color-blessed. And so we begin to ask pastors, like, well, okay, our area is diverse, but why isn't our church? Mm. And we got really non-biblical answers. Mm. And so we just sense the Holy Spirit say, don't criticize, create. And so both my wife and I have a passion for Jesus, a passion for people. Uh, we're overwhelmed by the good news of Christ that rescued us. But the great thing is individual salvation doesn't just exist for us. God saves us to put us into a family. Amen. And the way this family loves each other bears witness that he rose from the dead. And so, yeah, and uh, I used to play professional football a long time ago. <laughs> and so... Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of awesome. what I do now. I love Jesus. I love people. I love pastors, um, and uh, I love people to learn how to pray. Mm. Mm, that is so awesome. Well, let's jump right into that because the title of your new book is "God, Do You Hear Me?" And we know that it's a book about prayer. Can you talk to us about who you wrote this book for? Yeah, you know, um, I wrote this book for the person who has walked with Jesus for a long, long time but they want to go deeper in prayer. Mm. I wrote this book for a person who feels like, no, God does not hear me. I'm unworthy to be heard. Um, I wrote this book for the person who is just learning about what following Jesus is. Mm. And ultimately I wrote this book because I want to be a part of a generation mm. that approaches God's throne of grace and mercy with boldness and confidence and pray prayers that make him smile. Oh, love that. That's really well put. Nervin, uh what makes, let, let's just ask it this way, especially for those people who've been believers for a long time, but also for new believers, why is prayer so hard? It seems like a really basic thing, but I'm a pastor. I know I struggle with prayer. And yeah. you know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, uh, pastor, I don't know how to pray or prayer, I don't get it. What makes prayer so hard? You know what I think makes prayer so hard is we project onto God the qualities of humanity. So mm. think about it. Uh, we are we are trained as an early age from commercials to friendships to even parenting that we're not good enough. Like, you know, you, you come home as a kid with, with four A's and one C and parents spend eight hours on the C and mm. they'll talk about the four A's. So and we're always told we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We got to try more. There's never enough. And what we do is we project that onto God the Father. Even for those of us who follow Jesus, it's like, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but yet God is still mad at me. Mm -hmm. And so why would I pray to someone who I feel like I don't live up to, who I 
feel like I'll never measure up, that I'm not good enough. And so we're approaching God from a transactional perspective of, if I'm good enough, you'll bless me with what I want. Mm. And we have to really throw all that away. And the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. Mm. So here's what's different about our Father than earthly fathers or mothers, is once we attach ourselves to Jesus by faith, all that is true of Jesus is now true of us. Mm. It's not fair. That's why it's called grace. Wow. That the obedience of Jesus is given to me as a free gift. It's like he took the test of life and scored 100%. I failed, but his test takes my place. Mm. So much so that God the Father says, you are inextricably united to my son. Mm. And the same way I love my son is the same way that I love you. Hence, that's why Hebrews 4.16 says we can approach God's throne of grace and mercy with boldness and confidence, and we find grace in our time of need. Grace has a name, and it's Jesus. Jesus in his blood not only declares us righteous, but eternally unites us to God that he's fully pleased with us because he's fully pleased with Jesus. And so what happens is, is we stop thinking about ourselves and what we don't do, and we think more about what Christ has done. Amen. And what happens is we begin to approach a father that we know that loves us. And so when we pray our father, we're not approaching him looking for affirmation. We're approaching him from the position of affirmation that Jesus got for us. So I think if we switch that, if we switch that, prayer becomes more than simply asking for stuff. Mm -hmm. Prayer becomes the doorway that we experience God's unending grace. I think that is so powerful, Duran, and, and I want to have you dig into that a little bit deeper. If prayer is more than just asking for stuff, then how do we even begin to pray in a way that feels like it honors God? Yeah, yeah. You know what's really cool, right? So Jesus, um, he tells his disciples in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says, therefore, when you pray, you should pray like this. So Jesus literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, but literally tells us how to pray. And the word pray is written in the Greek language in a present imperative. So it means a continuous, habitual way. Hmm. And so Jesus is literally teaching us how to pray. And when you look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer, can you say it word for word? Yes, I do. Twice a day I say it word, word for word yeah. at night. I pray Psalm 23 before I go to bed, but throughout the day, I'm using the Lord's Prayer as um, choreography. Mm -hmm. So whenever you see someone dance in a play or musical, there's a choreographer. Well, the Lord's Prayer is a choreography so that we can dance to the rhythm of God's grace. And so when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts with this Father uh, intimacy, into me you see. And so the Lord's Prayer reveals God's will for humanity. Our job is not God's will for our lives. Our job is how God's will is expressed through our lives. Hmm. But God's will looks like loving intimacy with the Father. It looks like setting God's name apart. That means to be holy, right? He's set apart. It's allegiance. I wear, I've been wearing a wedding, a wedding ring for 29 years. Hmm. That means I'm set apart. Vicki has captivated my heart. I belong to her. Well, to set God apart as 
holy means in response to his grace in Jesus, my eyes are for him and him alone. And when mm-hmm. false lovers whisper in my ear, I reject them because of the acceptance of Christ. Mm-hmm. God's kingdom, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And let me make a point here. Uh, Western American Christians are so busy trying to escape earth, and Jesus is so busy trying to get heaven to earth <laughs> through his disciples. Amen. Good. Amen. Do on earth as it is in heaven. Well, w- what is God's kingdom? God is so beautiful. He goes, okay, if you're mistaken about what my kingdom is, my eternal son is going to embody what the kingdom is. So everything that Jesus did is what the kingdom of God looks like. When he forgives, when he rebukes, mm. when he's being slandered, he still goes to the cross. When he forgives his disciples for abandoning him, when he heals the woman with the issue of blood, when he goes into Samaria to overcome racism and misogyny, that's what the kingdom of God looks mm. like. When he washes the feet of his disciples, that's the kingdom of God. Then it moves to give us this day our daily bread. That's where we begin to ask for things that we need. So notice though, in Matthew 6, 8 and Matthew 6, 32, Jesus says, well, your father already knows what you need. So maybe prayer is more than asking for things from God. Right. And prayer is more about being with God. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so good. And he's going to give us what we need, not our greed. Mm. Then it moves into the beauty of forgiveness. No, I just want to encourage people to go get that book called God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answers. Uh, I got to ask you, before we jump back into the book, you told us uh, that you used to play in the NFL Uh, If anyone follows you on Twitter, you've got lots of great stuff about football on there going on. I always wondered, how did being in the NFL prepare you to be a pastor? How are they the same? How are they completely different? Uh, I I would say one of the ways that it prepared me to be a pastor was to realize that playing professional football against 325 pound men is a lot easier than pastoring <laughs> down the street. That's, that's, that's wow. number one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, but, you know, I would, I would say the biggest lesson that I learned was this, is that a football team is comprised of people from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. different shapes and different sizes. You have a coach you have coaches, you have captains, and you have players. And there's a vision for that team. There's a playbook. Mm. And when everybody is on the same accord, you can do some incredible things. Well, what is the church? The church is, you know, you, you have an owner, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, you have coaches, which are pastors and staff. And then you have the congregation, right? And then when everybody's on one accord, you can do incredible things in the gospel. What I noticed was with a football team, you accepted your role and you sacrifice. What I found with the church a lot of times is we're very individualistic and we don't understand the concept of team. Mm. We read the Bible through the Western enlightenment of me, myself, and I instead of we. And so when, even when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say your Father in heaven. It says our Father. And so the Bible is a communal book, just as God is communal, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And so those are the things that football taught me about teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. Everyone has a role. Everyone matters. Uh, stay aligned to the assignment. Don't let jealousy, envy, or bitterness uh, corrupt what the team could be. That's good. Oh, it's so good. And Derwood, let me bring that back to your to your book, God Do Hear Me, a book on prayer. Because what is... Um, is there value in communal prayer? Because I do think we we think about prayer as more of a individual, isolated spiritual discipline. But I wonder what would you what would you say to our listeners about prayer in community? It's essential. That that was normative in the early church. Yeah, there are uh, praying individual is important, but community is important. Like last night here at Transformation Church, we have a. Uh, 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 we're studying my book. God, do you hear me? And we have a night of prayer. And so over a hundred and some people were in small groups praying together. Mm. So corporate prayer is important in church. When you read scripture together, that is important. And so corporate prayer is important. What I want to help people do though, is align themselves to the choreography of the Lord's prayer, because by the time you get to give us as they are daily bread, you're so infatuated and captivated mm. by the will of God you start to pray what God wants for your life instead of what you want for your life. Mm. Mm. And Derwin, you, you mentioned before some of your rhythms. You said you pray the 23rd Psalm, you pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm thinking of the person in their car right now or at home who's like, I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know how to pray. I would point people to your book. But what would you say? Uh, maybe they're a, a longtime believer, but they never really learned to pray, or they're a new believer. How, what's step one? What would you encourage somebody, step one, to begin a prayer life? The step one that I would say is read the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. and when you're done, say, uh, Father, I pray that this prayer would be embodied in my life, in my family's life, in my church, in the church around the world, and then just sit there and just marinate, and if things come to mind, you pray. If not, then you move on. But then throughout the day, I'm praying things like, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you're good. Uh, Lord, there are going to be many idols that try to woo me away from you, but may I remember the cross and stay connected to you. Father, may your kingdom be expressed through me. You know, and so, and then also prayer is more than talking to God, but not less than talking to God. Hmm. Prayer is a posture of our souls that are open to his divine presence and influence. Hmm. Oh, that's so good. Derwin, y- your book is uh, broken up into five different sections, discovering who our father is, discovering God's kingdom and your priestly role in it, depending on the bread of life diving into God's forgiveness and developing a wartime mindset. You're working through the um, Lord's Prayer. I wonder if you could speak to that last one a little bit, developing a wartime mindset. What do you mean about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the first thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, our weapons of war is faith, hope, and love. Mm. And we do our best fighting when we're on our knees. And what I mean by, by that is when you look at the last part of the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, we know from Hebrews 6 that God does not lead us into temptation. We know from 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that God gives us a way out of temptation. So what's happening? What's happening is, is Jesus is retracing his time in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil. In Matthew 3, 
17, Jesus is baptized and he's promptly <clears throat> sent to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And the three temptations of the devil are the three temptations that he used on the nation of Israel in the wilderness after they were freed from slavery in Egypt. Hmm. It's the three temptations that he used against Adam and Eve. So where Adam and Eve failed, where Israel failed, where you and I failed, Jesus succeeded because the mm. devil only has three tricks, and here they are. You are what you do. Mm. You are what others think. You are what you possess. Mm. So uh, performance, popularity, possessions. I got that from Pete Scazzaro, and I think he got that from Henry Nowen. Mm. But nevertheless, three times Jesus says, but it is written Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And so Jesus quotes Scripture. So what does that mean for us? It means for us that we are not what we do. We are what Christ has done. Mm -hmm. We are not what others think. We are what the Father thinks. We are not what we possess because we are possessions. We've been bought with a price. So therefore, we have to renew our minds with this truth. The scene of the crime is your mind. Hmm. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hmm. Like, we try to make it more difficult than it is, and the reality is, we tend to react to our feelings versus respond to truth. Truth and my feelings do not often correspond, but if <laughs> I follow truth, my feelings will catch up. Hmm. So the better we know Scripture, the better we're actually going to pray. Then, Jesus defeated sin, death, and evil through the cross. A lot of times, many Christians are Friday Christians. Jesus died for my sins. So here's a quick, quick, quick a question. If we're spiritually dead, or let, let's just say we're a, a corpse, and someone says to a corpse, I forgive you, that doesn't do the corpse any good because right, you're dead. Right, well, right. When, when we are forgiven by God, we're also made alive by God. Amen. We're, we're, we're not just a Friday people, we're a Sunday morning pe people. Mm, Jesus, right. who rose from the dead, lives in us. So therefore, we no longer have to give in to the temptation of sin. We no longer have to fear death because Jesus left death in that tomb. Amen. And the devil has been defeated by the work of Christ, That's even right. though things look dark at times. The light has come, and now we're joining Jesus, not looking to escape earth, but looking to turn earth into a future that's coming, Amen. which is the new heavens and new earth. That's such a good word, my friend. If you want more of that, let me encourage you to go get this book, God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answered. Derwin has also written several other books, including a bestseller called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding true happiness you can find him at derwinlgray.com and he's a great follow on twitter at derwinlgray that's at derwinlgray derwin this was absolutely our pleasure thanks for spending so much time with us today hey thank you you have a good day okay you, you too, too. Friend. you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and it is the end of today's show. And that means we want to bring you something encouraging, inspiring, or challenging. And Brian, a few weeks ago, we had on an author named Ruth Show Simon. She's the author of When Striving Cease, Replacing the Gospel of Self-Improvement with the Gospel of Life-Transforming Grace. And I don't know if you remember, but when she was on the air, I was like, 
oh, dang, I need to read that book. Like everything she was saying, I was just so moved by. So Kevin actually got me her book for Christmas and I've been reading it. And there was a section, just a small paragraph that I wanted us to I wanted us to hear, wanted to share with our listeners and then have you and I respond to because I feel like it's um it's something that connects to all of us and the struggle that we all have really to, I don't know, to achieve or have the approval of other people and and ultimately to try to save ourselves when we seek after those things. So if you're okay, I'm going to read you a paragraph and then we'll just talk about it. All right. So again, this is from Ruth Cho Simon's book, When Striving Sees. Here's what she says. In an interview for GQ, Danish psychologist Sven Brinkman pointed out that our self-help craze, the imperative to perform and be flexible and optimize yourself all the time, has become pathological with us becoming victims of self-optimization fatigue. He pinpointed the problem with self-betterment and the exhausting pursuit of arrival at the finish line of your best self, saying, it's a process without end. If we're only okay as long as we are striving, moving, developing, then we're never okay. Then she goes on to say, we want to feel okay. We want to be enough. We want to arrive at the finish line as the winners, and we keep believing we can make it happen if we just optimize our performance and carry it out flawlessly. But then she goes on to talk about Jesus, that Jesus is actually the hero of the story. We are not. What do you you think about just that section in general that I read to you? I just love this idea of uh, acknowledging how exhausting striving and self-help and self-betterment can be because there's no end to that. I can always be better. I can always do more. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we all feel that it's one of the dangers of new years, quite frankly, when we're all like, I'm going to do these five things this year. And you're like, okay, that is already exhausting. And so this, this kind of hamster wheel of, uh, all right, now I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do this better. I'm going to keep you know, as opposed to I'm going to uh, be the person Christ has called me to be. I'm going to strive to be better. Like I'm mm-hmm. not going to just be like use that as license to be lazy. Right. Uh, but I'm going to be secure in my uh, in my identity, who Christ has made me, who who scripture calls me and uh, live out of that will allow you to rest. It will allow you to not be um so worked up about am I am I achieving? Am I striving? I think it's so helpful it's so weird, Aubrey, because I, I read this and hear this so often, but sometimes it becomes white noise because then you yeah. started going about your day and you're like, what else? I got, I got to keep getting better. I got to keep mm-hmm. doing, I got to keep doing, I got to keep mm-hmm. doing. And it's exhausting. Yeah. And, uh, and so again, I think the more times we can hear this word, the better. I think the hard part too, where I struggle is, you know, you want to grow, mm-hmm. obviously, as a human being, as a Christian, as a parent, like, we don't want to be stagnant people. We want to go deeper and change and develop. Um, but there is somehow a nuance between that and what you're talking about, the striving, the hustling, what she's talking about in her book, the the constant need to self-improve and like never, ever land anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I do mm-hmm. feel like it. you talked about this just a second ago. It is something about knowing your identity in Christ and living from that approval, not for that approval. Mm. And I, you know, I wish I had like, oh, here's the solution. It's solved now. But I guess just the awareness of it and asking for the Lord's grace to live 
out of your identity, right. not for your identity, is is really the key. Yeah. Let, let, let me make two points about that. One, I, I believe there was a good book that came out in 2021 that kind of gets at this a little bit, speaks of living out of our identity. You may have heard of it, I think. What? <laughs> <laughs> is it a book? Is it a book called Known? How believing go. who God says you are changes everything. Wow, there you go. It wow, that book to go sounds that. amazing. There you go. But Aubrey, I'd also say on a more serious level, like also Jesus could have strived. Jesus could have mm. been like, listen, I've got three years. Uh, I'm. I've got a. You know, I've got a million things to accomplish. Uh, but what do we see Jesus regularly doing? We seeing him resting. We seeing yeah. him praying. We yeah. see him uh, disconnecting. Like. Uh, and we don't see him self-exalting, what, right? We see him living with humility. Like mm-hmm. we get so used to these attributes of Jesus that they begun they begin to become less um, surprising. Uh, but just kind of sit back and think about what did Jesus prioritize with his time? Uh, what did he prioritize during his time on earth? And I think we we start to see uh, those aren't often the things that I prioritize. Right. Uh, and, and I think we can be challenged by that because there was a humility. There was a pace to his life. There was uh, a perspective that I think uh, we can all kind of hold on to. Yeah, that that's that's such a good that's such a good reminder for all of us. In fact, just a Another word from uh, Ruth Show Simon's book. She she says this. She says Jesus didn't try to steal the show. He didn't try to improve on God's plan of salvation with addendum or flair or demand honor for the Savior he was. At every turn, Jesus wanted only to do what the Father purposed for him to do. No more, no less. Mm. Even as he faced brutal death on the cross, Jesus revealed his motivation in staying faithful to the work he'd been given. It was not in a pursuit of showing himself worthy or becoming his best self. It was this. And she goes on to list a few things. She says, Jesus was here to do God's will and not his own. Jesus was here to glorify God and not himself. Jesus was here that we might know everything is from God. And Jesus was here that we might know God's love. And of course, that's a difficult example for all of us to follow. But I definitely think, um, you know, as we start out the new year here, 2022, a good word for us to at least try to live more like Jesus in a way that we know we're here to point to God. Like John the Baptist, we've talked about, uh, you know, point to God and not point to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And this doesn't mean don't work hard. This doesn't mean uh, don't do all you can to pay your bills and get by. This doesn't mean that's not, it's a perspective, right? It's a, it's a hierarchy. Like I can work 60, 70 hours a week and still have the right perspective in my life. I can work 30 hours and, and just waste my time away. Like this isn't about the number of hours necessarily. This isn't about those things. That's good. It's about having the perspective of Jesus is Lord. He is on the throne. He has called me, uh, you know, God's child. I'm God's child in him. I'm forgiven. I am accepted. Like I can live out of that. And then I can go work hard. I can go work two jobs to pay the bills. I can do whatever I need to do, but not allow those things to define me. The question is what defines me? Mm. And, and and when, when it's our, just what we can accomplish, what we can do, then we're going to endlessly strive, endlessly do these things. And we're going to be left exhausted and not really sure which way to turn. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a good word. That's a good word for us as we close the show today, that this is not about not working hard. Like, look, you you provide for your family. You hustle. You do the things you need to do to pay the bills and put food on the table. Like, God honors that. But you're right, Brian. It's, it's when our identity is in the wrong things and we end up striving for approval rather than living from it. And I think that's the posture as, as we look to Jesus and as we ask Jesus for his help, we can begin to live that way in a way that's freeing and not so burdensome. So we hope that conversation encourages you as you begin to think about your life and your posture in the new year. And we want to thank you for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I am Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.